Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Welcome to episode 255. This is Wendy, and I'm here today with Allison Jorland from Milwaukee Ghosts. Welcome, Allison. Hey, glad to be here, Wendy. And I'm very excited to talk to you because you are very close to embarking on your journey to the Hawaii Paracon. Yes, I am. And and our guest today is going to be with me on that journey. Yes, I'm super excited. We get to talk with uh, one of your heroes and someone that I admire greatly as well, known as Professor Paranormal. Our guest today is a leading expert on ghosts and the psychic experience, one of the few researchers in the field who's earned a master's degree in parapsychology. He's director of the Office of Paranormal Investigations and a professor at both Atlantic University and JFK University. He was recently appointed to the board of directors of the legendary Rhine Research Center and will be joining our own Allison in Oahu very soon for Hawaii Paracon 2019. So welcome to the show, Professor Paranormal Lloyd Auerbach. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks very much. Nice to be here. We're happy to have you. Yeah, and I just couldn't wait to pick your brain. Um, I, I met you some years ago uh, in Alton, Illinois, at the Haunted America Conference. And Wendy and I and Mike and the whole gang, uh, we... We attended the latest one just a few weeks ago, and and we met Brendan Masulo there and talked to him about his experience studying parapsychology mm-hmm. in Edinburgh. And it's it like just like for Mike, it's it's always been kind of an unfulfilled dream of mine to be able to study parapsychology uh, in a university setting. So I, I just can't wait to pick your brain about it and and ask you. You know, what was it like? What can you tell us about that experience? Well, you know, first I have to say that I'd had a really good reading background in parapsychology well before that. I started reading books by J.B. Ryan and some of his colleagues when I was probably about 13. Uh, And when I was a teenager, I had a parapsychology club I started with some friends at my high school uh, outside of New York and got to meet uh, folks like Hans Holter and Montague Allman and Gertrude Schmeidler. So people both on the outside of parapsychology, which is what Holter was, and folks directly involved in the field, which was Allman and Schmeidler. So I really had a good base when I went into studying at a JFK university. Right. And it's cool now that, you know, as a kid, you were reading J.B. Ryan and, you know, now you're involved with the Ryan Research Center. Yeah, I've been involved for a few years now with the Ryan Center, and that that's really somewhere somewhere in my high school archives. If they haven't thrown them out, there's a letter <laughs> to the principal from J.B. Ryan um, supporting the idea of starting a parapsychology club. Oh, that is I would, cool! I would love to get my hands on. <laughs> yeah, that. you gotta get that framed and put it in your office. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if they'd ever be able to find it. Well, hopefully they still have it. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> Yeah. So, so when I started at JFK in grad school, it was, I mean, it was, it was graduate school. It wasn't undergrad. Um, I launched right into courses on research in the laboratory and we, and also a course on uh, spontaneous case investigation. So doing field investigations, that was part of my first semester, my first quarter there at JFK. So it was uh, very rigorously academic. I have to tell you that it was not, you know, the courses were not 
light courses that because of the amount of history and research in the field, uh, they were very, very academic courses, although we did have a couple of fun courses too. Ooh, <laughs> that's intriguing. <laughs> did you get to study a lot of the history of parapsychology, you know, going back to the, um, the Society for Psychical Research and even before that? Well, that was certainly part of our studies. Um, history is the foundation on which, of course, modern parapsychology is based. So, yeah, uh, I mean, the SPR and the ASPR were both very, very much a part of what we studied. Um, but we also had courses in other fields, kind of related fields of science. We had a physics and parapsychology course. Uh, there was one on anthropology and parapsychology, which I had really done in college because that's what I focused on was beliefs, supernatural beliefs in my anthro studies in college. And then we had one on um, neuropsychology, you know, just really a range of courses, statistics. It, it was a science-based program. And actually, it was the only science-based program at JFK University. And it was all designed by John Palmer, who is now a retired uh, luminary in the field of parapsychology. Well, when you were uh, studying, I mean, like, I've always been interested in paranormal phenomena. But, you know, I can't say... I was a believer until recently, and I, I hesitate to use that word because I, all I mean by it is that I recognize now that there is something out there that's unexplained, you know, from my own experiences. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I know what it is, but when did you have a moment like that where you went from book studies to, hey... <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting my street smarts now in the paranormal. This stuff is happening right in front of me. When, when did that happen for you? Well, you know, I had a very slow evolution because uh, I was interested in psychic abilities. I, I don't think I used the word paranormal at all, probably until, you know, into college or grad school. It just wasn't a popular term. Uh, back in the 60s and 70s or even into the early 80s. Uh, the TV shows really made it more popular than anything else. And I started out being very um, interested in ghost stories, partly because of TV shows. I, I had a TV in my room when I was two, thanks to my dad who worked for NBC. <laughs> Lucky. So I am a product of the television of television itself. Um, <laughs> my dad worked for NBC, my uncle worked for CBS, and I, my mother's brother actually worked as a radio newscaster. So I, I grew up in the media in many respects. Um, so I, there was an old show called Topper back in the, originally in the 50s, but they were running it in New York through the 60s. And it was a great old show about this guy, this banker who moved into this house that had belonged to his couple of his clients who were fairly well off, not really rich, but fairly well off people who were partiers. They were, they were like socialites and they died in an avalanche skiing in, in the Alps. Uh, and their ghosts, oh their ghosts, along with the ghost of the St. Bernard that tried to rescue them, ended up, ended up back at their home. It was a sitcom. It was a really great situation comedy. Um, wow. Yeah, so it was a dire wedding. Oh, no, no. It was, no. Like, it was, it was really. Died. Like, no, they died. Yeah, it was okay. a really cool show. I've, I have a lot of the episodes on, on DVD these days. Oh, that's awesome. It's, it still holds up. And the best thing about it, although that this is not necessarily modern, politically correct, but the, the ghost drank a lot, including the dog. Nice. <laughs> 
So, um, right. I, you know, I, I was never afraid of ghosts. I watched monster movies as a kid. I read com. Actually, I read a lot of comic books. In fact, I learned to read. My mother taught me to read um, using some of the Greek mythology, the kids' books on Greek mythology, because I was so interested in Greek mythology thanks to some cartoons that were on at the time. So, I, I really was interested in superheroes and all that, and science fiction was my jam. And I also was very much a science geek as a kid. I, I just never thought that psychic, being psychic or having a psychic ability was weird. I, I did not, it, it was something to aspire to, not something to make fun of. It, it just seemed that it made all, all made sense to me the entire time. And the whole ghost thing all made sense to me as well. So while I was more interested in psychic abilities than I was in ghosts until really grad school, um, I read books by Hans Holzer in the in the 60s and before I started reading books by Ryan and it was it really Dark Shadows the soap opera Dark Shadows really sent me to the library to, to find books on parapsychology. That's unique. Did you now you were clearly you were deep into this already in high yeah. school and did you encounter a lot of resistance from people because that's a pretty <laughs> you know unique thing to be interested in especially to be considering it as something that you might want to go into for a career. Uh, not, not really. I mean, not really resistance. Uh, you know, of course I was, some of my friends we, who were interested, but not because of this, you know, we didn't, we weren't really into sports that much. Uh, we would be mm-hmm. what would be called nerds. Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know anything yes, about that here. Were we? Come on. Wendy, yeah. And so, um, this was just another bizarre, you know, just another off color or weird thing that Lloyd was interested in. However, our club, the parapsychology society that I started, we had a couple of the jocks in the club too. There were a lot of people in school that were interested. And the two sponsors for my club were the earth science teacher and the physics teacher. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. So you were rooted in science. Now, did you have any experiences uh, that may be considered paranormal or psychical? No, and only only occasionally knowing who was on the phone when the phone rang. You know, this is well well before Ooh. caller ID. <laughs> <laughs> so so that was, you know, you I, I think it's similar to where I am with it. You know, I never thought it was impossible that these things could be real. Uh, you know, I was always wanted them to be real, but, you know, you kind of have to see for yourself in some respect. You know, although you, you, right. I, I, I think that a lot of the witnesses are, you know, honestly relating what they experienced, but it's different when you experience it. Well, it's true. It is tr- true, but, you know, there's a lot in science, especially that we can't, we never get firsthand evidence of. And we now have a photo of a black hole, but science accepted the existence of black holes for a long time. It's going to be a long time before any human beings gets anywhere near a black hole. (laughs) That's probably a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, it probably is a good thing, but uh, unless, of course, it's a doorway to another oh. universe. That's a whole different story. Uh, yeah, that's, that's more yeah, of a sci-fi, sci-fi thing. jam's uh, coming back. <laughs> yeah, but, but the, re- the thing is that there's a lot in the world that we take for granted based on evidence. There's a lot of evidence. And, and because I started reading the science books, uh, you know, books by parapsychologists detailing the experiments, detailing the research, and looking at what the patterns that had been found by the SPR and the ASPR, it, it just... The evidence was there, and it is there. Actually, there's a lot more evidence that is available for people to see today than certainly there ever was when I was in, in high school or college. That's yeah. what we love to hear. Right, definitely. Um, it, it's certainly 
accumulated to the point that you would think it's undeniable, but we still have we still have dogmatic skeptics, cynics really, who deny. Right. Well, that's correct. Yeah, and and actually, the thing is that most of them are being actually unscientific because it's not that they deny that or they say, they say that psychic ability or psychic phenomena is impossible. It's not just that. It's that, that they refuse to look at the actual experiences people have or look, even look at the evidence or the research. They just say it must be bad because psi can't exist. Mm-hmm. Right. The stuff can't exist. Therefore, because the stuff can't exist, the research must be bad. The data must be misinterpreted. The statistics must be wrong. Why would I waste my time actually looking at the research? Right. There must be something actually, wrong with the experimental design. That's what they always point right. to. Right. Without looking at whether there's an experimental design flaw or not. Now, what have you found either in your personal experience or in other research that has been the most compelling evidence in your mind? I mean, sure, the accumulated data, but are there any any data points in, in particular that you draw people's attention to if you could? Well, I, I think the research that has been repeated, replicated, basically, which is what science demands in the Gonsfeld studies, so those are studies using mild sensory deprivation under extremely well-controlled conditions, and the studies of remote viewing, uh, both what was done in the Stargate program and also done in the civilian version of that by the researchers, both of those tracks of research and the, the research behind them and the statistics behind them and everything related to it shows that there's something really here. Uh, those are two things there. From a personal perspective, um, I you know, have worked with psychics. I also have training as a magician and mentalist. In fact, uh, I just got back from the Psychic Entertainers Association annual meeting. Oh, uh, yes, man. in New Orleans. In New what? Orleans, yeah. <laughs> that must have been a party. It was fun. It was fun. <laughs> cool. um, but, you know, I, it, it's, it's that... I've worked with psychics and mediums, especially more recently mediums, who have a tap into an information source very clearly. Whether you believe it's from the living or from the dead or from however however you want to look at it, there is real evidence here. There's real activity happening. Some psychics are really good. Now, there's a lot of people out there who are phonies, and there are a lot of people who call themselves psychics who are not, who they may even think that they're psychic. They may even be very good observers, but and people have told them they're psychic, but they're not as genuinely psychic. So it's a spectrum here. Um, just like that there are some psychics, some talented psychics who are also very unethical. So you have a range of people here uh, going on. Um, I've had cases, uh, apparition cases, that to me have no good explanation other than there is an apparition there. There is a ghost there. There's an, a consciousness there. So... Those kinds of the cases I've had that are that I've been personally involved in, there's not a lot of them that are in that real class um, class of great evidence piece, but there's enough of them. And then there's also cases that I've had that are, seem to relate more directly to poltergeist phenomena. I worked with people who could move objects, who could affect things under well-controlled conditions. So there's a lot that I have been through and seen. Um, and yes, I might've been mistaken about a couple of them. I don't think I was. People have told me that I just simply misinterpreted stuff. I don't think so. Um, Hmm. but well, in any science, there's a half-life to our understanding. So, 
Yeah, I guess that's <laughs> we, we are. You're not doing science if you don't discover that you are mistaken at some point in time. You know, you want to grow. Well, usually we find the mistakes while we're doing the cases. You know, our initial assessment and then individual elements of what we looking we're looking at uh, are, are found. We find those things that way as well. Um, there, you know, there have been situations where I, or, or even psychics, where I was, I was left undecided. Um, that I thought that some of the things that they did may have really been psychic, but some other things, not so much. And so those are people that I would put in the class of having a big question mark in front of their names rather than making a definitive analysis. And that's actually has gotten people, a few people a little bit mad because I, I won't say <laughs> either way. Yeah. <laughs> So but, I'm curious, Lloyd, you do a lot of research. Do the cases that you study, do they typically come to you? Or are you, you know, do you do like the, the classic uh, research, you know, looking for subjects that have <laughs> this quality? Or uh, how do you find people like that to, to work with? Well, most for the most part, people have come to me uh, or through one of the mm-hmm. organizations that I work with. I, I'm, for, exam- okay. for example, um, for the last several years, I've been president of the Forever Family Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization that works with spirit mediums and supports the work of mediumship in the family grieving process and supports research in life after death. And we have a certification process um, procedure that's based in a scientific experiment to test potential, me- you know, certified mediums before we'll certify anybody. Uh, and, be- oh, that's cool. and because I've been involved with that organization, and even before that, I, I started speaking for them at conferences back in 2008. I've had people come to me, you know, just say that I, I want you to see how I do, to see if I can either work with you or you can give me some some guidance. I've actually mentored a few me- mediums, in fact. So hmm. um, it's been the organizations I've been involved in. Uh, I worked at the American Society for Psychical Research right out of grad school, pretty much. I just lucked into a job there and got to work with one of the preeminent field researchers at the time. That was Carlos Osis uh, and his assistant, Donna McCormick, and a phenomenal psychic by the name of Alex Tanis, who um, not only was great at doing out-of-body work in our experiments, but also did investigations with Donna and Dr. Osis and also worked with, verifiably worked with police. Now, I say verifiably only because I was at the ASPR uh, many, many days in the year and a half I worked there when someone from the FBI, um, which that was kind of rare, but it was NYPD, Boston PD, Philadelphia PD, and a few other police departments. People would show up to talk to Alex when he was in town Oh wow! to consult cool. with him. And they kept coming back. So this is the thing is that... that <laughs> and that's the kind of behind the scenes information right. that, you know, you, you think... Uh, isn't there, but if you experience it, if you were there witnessing these people coming yeah. in, I mean, they must be getting some actionable information. Correct. And that's the thing is that, you know, the, the police all asked Alex not to talk about his work with them because they felt it would compromise, you know, because of, of public sentiment, especially from the skeptics, it would cause them problems internally and externally. So he didn't. And Alex often said, you know, um, I didn't solve, I don't solve crimes. Um, He provided them information to let the police solve the crimes, but he provided them with often a piece of a puzzle that was missing. And that's what they'd come come to him for. Wow. Now, um, way back when, when uh, you spoke in Alton, Illinois, I I got a a CD of yours with with, um, some really cool stories uh, from... um, 
from your past, mm -hmm. from from your studies. Um, is there any like story you can share with us? Uh, you know, there's so there's so many. The only one I can think of right now, of course, is the Sexorcist. Okay, <laughs> nice, Allison. <laughs> but but there could be others that you want to share. <laughs> that was a memorable one, huh? <laughs> that well, you know, it's got the title. Yeah, well, I can tell you that one certainly in a couple. Sure, go ahead. All right, so so th that that title actually came from a, fr a good friend of mine from college who was at the time um, she had interviewed me a few years into my career in parapsychology uh, on, uh, she was doing an interview with me for Playgirl magazine. She was a writer for Playgirl. <laughs> so while there's no pictures, I have appeared in Playgirl. How about that? Right. I probably am the only parapsychologist to do so. Um, Congratulations. So, you should put that in your bio. Come yeah. on. Oh my gosh. So the, the, the case, which she named The Sexorcist, um, was one that I actually had when I was working at the ASPR early in my career. Um, I was working in the education department. I was actually um, the public information and media person. So I often took calls from the outside and would often even filter calls to Dr. Osis about potential cases. So we had this call from a guy and his wife in Upper Westchester County. Um, they claimed that they had moved into this house, um, which was only, was less than six years old. And they moved in like five and a half months before. And ever since they moved in every night around three o'clock in the morning, they would hear the sa some sounds of people moving about in the bedroom next to theirs. And there were two master suites upstairs. So I said, well, you know, uh, can you explain a little bit more? And the, he said, well, it's two, <laughs> two people making some noise. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'd go out in the hallway and we could hear the noise. And then we go over as soon as it would turn off. As soon as we crossed the threshold into the other room, there was nobody there. I said, can you describe what the sounds were? And he said, it was two people making these noises. And, and I had to keep asking over and over and over again. Oh, and eventually, no. eventually oh, he, he said. He was trying so hard to keep it polite. He was and his wife wasn't helping at all. Um, <laughs> and she just loved to see him turn red. I bet. Yeah, I don't know. She was on. A, she was on an extension. Uh, there was something else going on there. Um, so boom, chicka, wow, wow. Yeah, when I I finally got him to say, okay, it's two people doing it, <laughs> and that's when his wife spoke up and said, yes, moans and groans of pleasure, and then she said his name. I'll, I'll use the word name Howard. That wasn't his name. She said moans and groans of pleasure, Howard. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that's uh -oh. great. Yeah, there was something going on there, clearly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. A little resentment, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So I... Um, oh, my gosh. I found out this was happening every night around three in the morning, and except, oh. Sunday, except Sunday nights to Monday mornings. They were never woken up then. And they would... Oh, they had learned to, They had learned to take turns walking into the other room after they got woken up to turn off the noise. And I said, well, did, oh. you, did you see... Was there any time that you let it go on to see how long it went on? And she said, at one point, 25 minutes before I, uh, before he turned it off, before Howard turned it off. And then she, <laughs> then she wow. said, 25 minutes, Howard. <laughs> oh, poor Howard. Yeah, oh, Being outperformed by a ghost. <laughs> right. That is just sad. Wow. So um, Dr. Osis, I talked to Dr. Osis about the case. It was not far from where I was living at the time. Um, and... So he wanted me to do a preliminary investigation. And Dr. Osis was a, an older Latvian. Uh, if you've ever seen any of the Hammer um, horror movies, <laughs> he looked like Peter Cushing, a very tall Peter. Awesome. 
<laughs> or for those of you who are younger, General Mo- uh, you know Moff Tarkin from the, the original Star Wars movie. That would be there you go. <laughs> so, but he had this wicked Latvian um, accent and sense of humor, and he said, "Well, you may have to stay overnight. Be sure to take excruciating notes." <laughs> <laughs> oh boy so uh I, I i went up there on a friday um late in the day uh, the couple came home from work early the development actually was six years or less year, uh, years old uh it had been cut out of a fairly um you know a forest that had never had any development i talked to the historical society there had never been any reported uh native american uh you know massacres or activity during the, the American Civil War or the or the Re- American Revolutionary Wars, which is uh, Revolutionary War sites were pretty common in Westchester. But nothing really had happened in um, the forest. And in fact, I, kiddingly, you know, I didn't tell the woman why I was researching, but she ha- did use the phrase virgin forest. So, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was pretty appropriate. Um, wow. The, there was nothing I could find uh, when I was up there late in the afternoon and uh, that would indicate like wind or anything else that could have caused those noises. And the very fact that they, the noises stopped whenever they crossed the threshold was an indicator that it was likely not um, something like that. And we, I, I was able to talk them into talking to a few of the neighbors they had met and got to know a little bit um, without giving away too much. But the next door neighbor came home from work and he was the one who knew the previous owners. So it's only five and a half years old. There was two cu- a couple that had owned it previously. He told us that they had moved into Manhattan and were stockbrokers and they just made enough money. Um, or they were early in their careers. They had just gotten married when they moved into the house. Uh, they were at that point in their late tw- very late 20s. And he, he said they were great, ki- great. He said, called them great kids, great kids. And then he said, um, you know, then I asked him actually, uh, was there anything unusual? Did they have a lot of parties? Was there anything um, out of the ordinary? <laughs> you can remember, Did you hear anything? Yeah, uh, without saying that. I didn't want to prime him. <laughs> yeah, you're angling there. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, in the spring and the fall when we had the windows open, didn't use air conditioning or heating. Um, he said, he started explaining, he said, you know, they had just gotten married and they were, they were very affectionate. And he said, every once in a while, they wake my wife and myself up, usually around two or three in the morning from that window oh. over there, making, making wow. noise like Slam two dunk. wildcats. And he pointed at the, the window of the bedroom that was making the noise. So this was wow. very clearly what we would call a residual haunting or simply a haunting or what we in parapsychology call place memory. In other words, the couple had left a really good impression behind. <laughs> yeah. The lovemaking was just so fierce that it imprinted on the environment. Well, and the environment, probably the conditions there, which, you know, I didn't have EMF meters. I didn't have any environmental sensors with me. Um, it was very likely that there would have been some indicator that there was something about the environment that was a little different than the rest of the house. Huh. So that... I've never heard of that happening before with a residual haunting where the couple, presumably they, they didn't pass away. Oh, actually that's, see, that's a bit of folklore that thanks to the TV shows and psychics. Okay. Let's bust some myths. Yeah. So let's bust a myth here. Living people, living people leave impressions behind dead people leave no impression behind. Oh, (laughs) okay. That makes sense. Right. So it's kind of like we can watch movies that were made in the 1930s and none of those people are alive. 
but they were right. alive when the movie was made. <laughs> but they could still be alive while people are watching the film. Uh, of so course. that's sort of like, okay. So, yeah. Got it. You know, Got it. Um, Interesting. Everybody who was in the Godzilla movie, as far as I'm, I know, was still alive. <laughs> yeah, no, um, but it's just that you don't usually think of a haunting as being, you know, the, the people leaving the impression are still with well, us. Well, you know, let's, let's take a look at that idea that there is residual information there. And in fact, the most common haunting that people experience would be when you go house hunting or apartment hunting and you walk into the place and it feels like a good place or a bad place. You get a good vibe or a bad vibe. Ah, okay. You know, and that's, of course, when it's not the, yeah. the uh, decor or a smell or something like that that turns you off. Yeah, yeah, more of a gut feeling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing, except in these haunting uh, impressions, we are, something about the environment has recorded um, a better video, you might say. It's, it's a better recording. Yeah. And it's us living people who are being psychic and picking it up. Cool. So right. um, I will tell you that I did no. call. I get the phone number of the couple. I did talk to the guy who used to live there. And he oh. was very defensive when I started saying, you know, the couple thinks your house is haunted. <gasps> oh, no. And he said, oh, you know, he, he's very defensive. Then I said, so what does three o'clock in the morning mean to you? And he stopped and he was silent for a minute. And then he said, okay, you have to tell me what's going on. And I did. And he said, okay, I'm not going to tell you why, because it's just between me and my wife. But yes, three o'clock in the morning, we would get up uh, for a couple of years after we moved in, we would get up and we'd make love. And I guess we were a little loud. <laughs> All right. There it is. Was that weird for wow. him to, to hear it that? Was like very weird for him. And I was on the phone with him for I mean, over half an imagine. hour explaining all this. Yeah, you're haunting a house, dude, right. with your prowess. So I'd already talked this over with Dr. Osis and um, and with Donna McCormick. And, uh, you know, we, we talked it through and that's what was going on. What would happen if wow. the couple went back there and experienced, like witnessed it themselves? Would it <laughs> like unlock some kind Who of I, <laughs> vortex you know, or something? Actually, yeah, People have reported over the years, over the decades, they have reported seeing a figure in their, you know, when they come home and they see a darkened hallway and they're just turning on the light, they see a figure or a shadow and they come to realize very quickly that they're seeing themselves. Oh gosh. Ah. So honestly, <laughs> that's creepier than any. That's really, I from what people know from what people have told me. That's creepier than anything for most people. Oh yeah. Um, although, although I'm guessing that, that younger people who do a lot of selfies wouldn't be as creepy. Yeah. Good point. Good point. <laughs> But that's not one that I've considered before, and uh, that's probably going to keep me up tonight. Yeah. Well, Lloyd, we talked a little bit about um, like things that that we generally can experience, like that feeling when you're house hunting. That mm -hmm. oh, nope, this place the vibes are off. Nope, this this place is is a good place, you know. And other right. places give you that uncomfortable feeling, and sometimes you get that feeling that. Um, that the phone's gonna ring, or you know who it is. Um, so there's lots of little things that I think happen to us every day that are part of our psychic senses. I guess is a way to right. put it. Right. And and I've had experiences myself now where, you know, I've seen things or experienced something extraordinary, or what seems extraordinary. You know, when you're living life. In you know, like just a typically mundane setting, and then something happens which you're like, that's not normal. But what 
what I've felt is like when I'm having those experiences, sometimes I don't process them right away Mm -hmm. or sometimes I've forgotten about them entirely until just by chance something jogs my memory. So, I mean, this kind of gives me hope that lots of people are experiencing the extraordinary. It's just that we are so trained in our patterns in life and in our schema that we're used to, right? That when something extraordinary presents itself, it's just easier. It's not like you're even like purposely saying, oh, no, I'm not going to deal with that. It just happens where you just like, oh, I got to go to work now. Or you just Mm -hmm. go on with life and kind of forget whatever weirdness just happened. Um, Could you speak a little bit to that and maybe what people could do to like help themselves more fully experience these things or capture them once they happen instead of just letting them slip away? Well, um, you know, there's two, two elements here. One is exactly what you said. Some people uh, in our society were trained to write these things off and we constantly hear how weird these things are, how strange these things are. Um, especially younger people, kids are, kids are basically educated out of these experiences uh, because they're told that that does not happen or that makes you weird or it just ostracizes you in some other way. There's also um, kind of a reporting artifact in that people will not talk about these situations or experiences they have because they're afraid of being seen as weird, strange, or crazy by other people. And I have uh, you know, certainly no formal surveys that I've done over the years, but for many, many years, um, I would talk to people when I would commute into San Francisco for a job and I'd be commuting often with someone else I knew and uh, they would always like to ask in front of other people. So what's your latest ghost case, Lloyd? And the person with the other person would start asking, what does that mean? What do you mean ghost case? And inevitably they all had a ghost story or I'd, yeah. or I'd be at a, just looking for someone safe to talk correct. to about it. And, or I'd be at a party and someone would tell me they'd find out who I was and they'd tell me a ghost story or some other experience. And then I would talk to their spouse who also had a ghost experience oh. separate from the, from the husband or wife. And neither one of them was willing to fess up to their personal experiences. So they didn't know they had a common experience at all. So it, it was, wow. it's, so, it's so pervasive <laughs> that these are not paranormal experiences at all. These are normal experiences, maybe rare experiences, but they're really not paranormal. They're not yeah. on the side of normal. They're more, they're actually more common than a lot of other experiences we take for granted. So there's that element. But for people to actually note them, uh, Alex Tanis told me when I asked him, you know, how do you become more psychic? He said, first thing, notice that you already are. And just the conscious labeling and acceptance and preferably telling someone about it or at least writing it down or recording it some way, you know, just create a file for yourself on your computer, on your tablet or on your phone and jot it down or speak into, you know, um, uh, a voice note, just record it. And you'll find that the more you do that, the more you notice that things are actually happening. And you can even figure out the patterns that help you determine why is it happening today versus why didn't, you know, versus tomorrow. You know, you look for things like how much sleep did you get? um, What kind of food were you eating? Things like that. Because there are patterns of our bodies and our minds or basically our consciousness, our states of consciousness that allow us to figure out what's the best way for us to be more psychic. So really keeping a journal of those things, Mm -hmm. if if it's important to you, you know, do something that shows it's important to you. I I was just shocked, though, that 
as a person who's really as long as I can remember been interested in these kinds of questions, when stuff finally started happening to me <laughs> that I could recognize, you know, I was also fighting these other algorithms that I've become accustomed to, mm -hmm. to kind of preserve those experiences before I lose them. Yeah, it's our programming. You know, our culture, especially these days, academia is full of people who are afraid to, to talk about their interest in the subject, and even in just consciousness, consciousness in general, because academics have now been programmed, thanks to the skeptics, you know, some of the celebrity skeptics and other folks uh, within academia, to make fun of, pe of people who, do, who have an interest in this or yeah. to dismiss them completely. Right. Uh, it, it gets really, really bad, actually, for academics who, um, at various conferences, some people are kind of attending parapsychology, actual parapsychology conferences. We're not talking about ghost conferences here, but actual uh, parapsychological association conferences. People have attended and kind of keep to themselves because they don't want really want anybody to know what university they're affiliated with because they don't want it getting back to anybody. And a couple of Nobel Prize winners, one in particular, Brian Josephson, was uninvited a number of years ago to a physics conference. And this is a guy who won a Nobel Prize for physics. Wow. And he was uninvited because of his interest in parapsychology and consciousness. Oh, my gosh. Thankful. Uh, that's thank just inexcusable. It, it's I absolutely think. inexcusable. Thankfully, a lot of his yeah. colleagues jumped up and uh, said they weren't going to go either unless he got an invite. <laughs> well, that's encouraging. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like bullying. It's, it's, you know, this tremendous stigma. I think the thing that you know, might diffuse that is um, something that's been lacking in the paranormal field, I think, is um, looking at what's happening with indigenous cultures and, and their experiences of what we call the paranormal, but it's just natural in their cosmology. So that, that's not lacking in my field. That is lacking in the, in the ghost hunting field world. Right. Tremendously yeah. lacking in the ghost hunting field. We're, we're friends with um, Jack Hunter, too, uh, right. who uh, has the great journal uh, Paraanthropology. So, you know, there's certainly scientists that are looking mm -hmm. into that. But in the ghost hunting field, not so much because it's it seems to be ruled by TV and the cult of personality. Well, it is totally ruled by TV and the cult of personality. Most, you know, most paranormal conferences tend to be centered around some celebrity or other from one of the TV shows or some minor celeb who's been a, appeared on, on the, one of the shows once because they couldn't get anybody from the major, you know, <laughs> the major cast. And, and that, you know, and they're, they're kind of, you know, they're fan fests. They are not yeah. conferences on investigation or ghost hunting or paranormal investigating. They're just fan fests. Right. People just want to, you know, people are enthusiasts perhaps, but they're certainly not um, curious about what's going on. Yeah. And since you're the professor paranormal, how do you impart more of that educational approach to people when you present at, at these things? Well, I, I don't do a lot of con paranormal conferences mm -hmm. uh, because I end up um, pissing off some good part of the audience <laughs> uh -oh. if they're ghost hunters. You know, I'm sure. taking pot shots at their heroes, of course. <laughs> Okay. Um, I was at, uh, you know, for example, I was at a, a conference, one of the, I haven't been to too many over the years, but uh, back in 2008, I did one of the last conferences that the guys from Paranormal State put on. Oh. And they had the guys from Ghost Hunters there, and they had producers, and Chip Coffee was there, and a whole bunch of other people. And we were had a whole panel of us talking about, to talk about the, the paranormal in the media. And we each got five minutes to speak uh, about our backgrounds. And 
one of the two primaries from Ghost Hunters, and I won't say which one, <laughs> got up and during his five minutes, he said that there was no literature on uh, good literature on ghosts or investigations before the 1990s. Oh, oh come on. And, it must have been yeah, Jay. I think we, it was Jay. Yeah, it was. <laughs> at which point I, I interrupted him, which was, you know, politically incorrect. Uh-oh. And I, and I, because I was just a little more than a little pissed yeah. off. And I had a little minor rant about how it goes back before to the 1800s and how much of it was available for free on the internet um, right. through the internet archive. And thankfully, Michelle Belanger, who has written a number of books um, in the psychic world and is, has been on a lot of those shows, who was sitting next to me, spoke up as well. Cool. And so we both kind of double teamed that <laughs> point. But that did not make me any friends. And that and actually mm. walking out on Lorraine, Wa- Lorraine Warren's talk when she started <laughs> saying some things that were blatantly not true oh, wow. <laughs> um, got me um, not the not in the not best in show let's put it that way <laughs> well but do, do you think that part of the audience is totally hopeless like or is there any way we can reach out because they seem like they're I, I, more open-minded to things you know but they they seem like it but I, I I really think over the years since I've been trying to I've been banging my head against a brick wall this brick wall for since the late 90s and especially since since uh, Ghost Hunters started up in 2004, mm-hmm. um, I will have to say that that the majority of them are unreachable. They're mm. not interested. Uh, there is a percentage, fortunately, of people who either get bored with what they're doing when they do the ghost hunting based on the TV shows, yeah. thinking that there must be something else here, or they're really curious about the whys. You know, the how is this happening? The why is this happening? Not just interested in getting the latest EVP or playing with the latest toy. Right. Te- the tech. So there are there are some folks, but you know, I on two occasions over the years I've had people walk up to me after my talks, my regular talks, not the panels, and say to me, Why should I listen to you? You don't have a TV series. Oh my gosh. Come on. Oh wow. Time for a TV series, Lloyd. <sighs> well, there's always been oh time God. for a TV series, but you have to commit to the networks to <laughs> no, give me one. I totally. Yeah. I, yeah, but well, I've worked with I've worked with production. I mean, I grew up in television. I've worked with production companies for for many years, and uh, it always comes down to well, we want something different, but the same as that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, they want they want their narrative, and that's yeah. It. Well, we're we're trying to provide a you know a place where people can come and and get the proper type of education. Uh, from people like you. So hopefully, you know, we really appreciate that you're here talking sure. to us today. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, the Ryan Research Center um, offers online courses, some of which I teach. Um, I just finished teaching the Introduction to Parapsychology course, and we'll be doing um, a ghost, you know, ghost investigation class uh, probably in January, but maybe offering a class on the tech related oh, wow. to uh, a short course. And how does, uh, how does one sign up for that? So the classes can be found by going to the easiest place is Rhine, R-H-I-N-E. So it's Rhine.org. That's the main site of the Rhine Research Center. And there's an education link there that takes you to the list of classes. We have not put up the classes for September yet, September, October. Uh, those will be put up after probably at the end of this month or shortly thereafter. And those are online classes? Those are online classes. Oh, fantastic. Yes. All right. Yeah, and, and then there are other folks in my field who offer also offer online classes. So there's opportunities to be educated, um, not really from an an academic degree perspective, but anyone who's really interested can take a series of classes or single class. And I like to say up their game as investigators to actually have some knowledge on the subject. Yeah. I think that's, that's so important, Lloyd, because 
you know, there are people out there who I think are really interested, mm-hmm. like myself, for example. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you never, you know, most of the people aren't going to be able to study parapsychology, go to Edinburgh right. or wherever else in the world you can go to uh, study parapsychology right now. So that's a great alternative to take classes through the Ryan Research Center. Yeah, and and the other thing I can say, which is something that all of us we've we've been, several of us have been talking about this. Those of us who teach classes or encounter folks um, in the ghost hunting world, um, uh, this is to all the ghost hunters out there. Read a book, <laughs> right? Yeah, Pick up a book. So can can you share some books? I know that. Um, that my favorite is Catherine Crow, The Night Side of Nature. Oh, that's a great um, book. Great old book. Yeah. 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 And so, so most people don't even know who she is. And she's like the OG ghost hunter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that's right. But I wanted to know, and, and that's a free book out there. That's a free book. It's 400 pages. And, you know, it is... It is kind of challenging, you know, to read things that were, you know, written in the 1800s, for example, sometimes. But um, I found a way that I turned it into my own audiobook so I can listen to it. And that's that's helped me penetrate a little bit deeper into it. So um, that's a that's an option for people. You don't don't have to just sit there and and read it on a screen. You can have it read to you with, you know, any any of these books. free publications that are available as PDFs. Are there some other ones that you can suggest? Yes. Um, right off the bat, and this was something I actually suggest, I, I checked in on at one of the, another ghost conference around the same time as the other one back in 2008. Group of 200 people in the audience showing them possible books to read. And the first one I put up was a book called The Ghost Hunters by Deborah Blum. Yeah. This is a wonderful book about the origins of ghost hunting. Ooh. It is... Yes literally about this, the start of the SPR and the ASPR and the people, the scientists who did ghost hunting back then. That's a great book and written by a former professor at uh, UW-Madison. Whoa. Right. All right. And it it reads like a great novel. And the thing is, it actually made several bestseller lists um, about a year before this conference that I showed this. And when I asked the audience, how many of you have read this book? The only only hands that went up were um, one of my students, what, two of my students and two of my friends who were in the wow. audience. When I asked who had heard of this book, the same four hands went up. So oh I, I had a moment where I said, I kind of chastised the audience, <laughs> didn't make me any friends again. <laughs> How can you call yourselves ghost hunters and not know that there's a, a best-selling book out there on the subject? How do you not? Yeah. You know, because she wasn't on TV. Um, that was, of course, the answer. All right. Well, I'm adding um, it to my queue right now. So that, that's a great one. Um, you know, there, there are books by Dean Radin, uh, I think one of the better ones to read, which gives you a, a good overview of the research in, into psychic ability. That would be a book called Entangled Minds. Ooh. It's also kind of cool oh, yes. because it talks about quantum entanglement. Cool. So, oh, and, and you wrote the preface for a book that I recently read, The Premonition Code, The Science of Precognition. That's right. That's by Teresa Chung and Julia Mossbridge. I did write that. Um, you did. Yeah. Of course, my you know my first book is available, ESP Hauntings and Poltergeists. That's still available. Uh, yes. And then there are books, uh, you know, I really recommend that people look for a couple of authors as well. So one of the authors they should look for is a guy named D. Scott Rogo. He passed away a number of years. His books are phenomenal, though. 
and some of them are coming back into print. So you can find them on Amazon. So it's Rogo, R-O-G-O. And then if you're interested in life after death, you know, having to do with the evidence for ghosts, for example, the book Surviving Death by Leslie Keen is a great book. Also did incredibly well on the, the bestseller lists. Uh, came out in 2017. I actually contributed a chapter with my favorite apparition case Ooh, to that book. Cool. And uh, Leslie was a prize-winning journalist who spent a couple years researching researchers and people who connected with the dead and apparitions and all and reincarnation and all sorts of stuff. That's a great starting book and has a lot of great references to it. And there are a few other folks. I mean, there's a number of. I could just. I mean, I'm looking at my bookshelves right now. I can go through a whole <laughs> bunch of books. At this point. Well, thank you so much, Lloyd. I, you know, I, I always like to have like suggested reading. Yeah, and Allison, <laughs> we should start the See You on the Other Side book club. And we could begin with Absolutely. that list of books. Like, you know, that could be our launching point. We should probably start with one of Lloyd's books. I love that idea. Yes, absolutely. So, so Lloyd, you're going to be joining me uh, in Hawaii in just a couple of weeks now yeah. for Hawaii Paracon. Yeah. Now, have you ever been to Hawaii? Uh, I was in Hawaii in 1987 for a short vacation, for a vacation. But that was a long time yeah. ago. Long time ago. So you're going to be coming back yeah. to, um, ha- have you been to Oahu? That's where I was, wasn't in Oahu. You you were, yeah. were on Oahu. Yeah. So um, I, I'm really excited. I'll be speaking there as well. But can you tell us a little bit about what you'll be speaking about? I'm really excited, too, about your workshop that you have planned. Well, um, I'm giving a talk, which I've titled Never Been Slimed. <laughs> and that's, that's particularly appropriate given Ghostbusters 3 is coming out next Perfect. year. Oh, uh, my God. Is it really? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, with the original cast, or at least, you know, uh, minus Harold Ramis. And uh, although I don't think Rick, Rick Moranis is going to join this Aww. time, uh, but, but they did just sign Paul Rudd also, wow. which is cool. <laughs> oh, wow. He was very excited. He posted some, some fun video on Twitter. Um, and uh, so the talk I'm giving is kind of a little bit about my background and experiences in parapsychology, but I'll be talking about uh, a little bit about the history, just giving people an understanding that this is not a new thing, uh, that it didn't just happen with television. And sure. talking about the differences between the, the way parapsychologists and psychical researchers have done, have conducted investigations in the past and contrasting that against the ghost hunting methods that you see from the TV shows. Um, talking also within the process that we do investigations, we sometimes do science and we sometimes just go in to help people. So, uh, and that there's a, often an ethical dilemma when people are scared of what we're going to actually do for them. Uh, and again, contrasting that against what most ghost hunting groups do, which is just gather evidence telling the people that, yeah, you got a ghost and then they leave. Right. So yeah. uh, <laughs> not helpful at all. Uh, so then I'll be talking, of course, about a couple, a few of my cases in that talk as well. The other thing I'm doing, which is a separate workshop from the conference is on psychokinesis, so it's on mind over matter, and leading into a spoon-bending party. Oh, my gosh. PK PK party. So the idea is teaching people how to get past their inhibitions and resistance to doing psychokinesis, and and everybody will be bending, because it's really rare not to have somebody (laughs) doing bending. I want to go so bad. (laughs) Oh, that sounds fun. Well... 
And and if you'd like to join us, um, all you guys in uh, podcast land, you can uh, visit the website, hawaiiparacon.com. Yes. And Lloyd, I'm wondering, um, do you have any events on the mainland here <laughs> in the future coming up? Uh, not, not Nothing that's scheduled at this point uh, other than the classes we'll be doing. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I, I've got nothing specific right now. Well, those classes are definitely not nothing. So we know everyone can check those out. Right. And if people want to learn more about you and your research, uh, is there a good place for them to visit on the web? Well, at this point, my website is under long-term on reconstruction. I've been kind of playing with it for quite some time. So folks can find me on Facebook. Uh, just keep in mind that my name is spelled L-O-Y-D. So one L, so it's Lloyd Auerbach. Um, Easiest thing to do to connect with me is to send me email to get on a list uh, so I can just keep you up on things. And that is uh-huh. just, that is profparanormal at gmail.com. Perfect. A prof is in professor. And then if they want to follow me on Twitter, it's profparanormal. Awesome. And we will make sure to include links and all of that information at our show notes page at othersidepodcast.com slash 255. If you're interested in checking that out, Lloyd and Allison, thank you so much for sharing your insights today. It's been wonderful. And you blew my mind with that uh, seeing the, the ghost that's yourself thing. So <laughs> I'm going to have trouble sleeping tonight, probably. <laughs> So thanks for that. Uh, (laughs) No, but thank you for opening up my mind to some new things. And I look forward to reading your books and hopefully checking out one of those courses. Yeah, and I I look forward to that, too, and picking your brain some more in Hawaii. (laughs) Yes, Allison, we're counting on you to report back on everything. I'm going to write down all my questions, and I'm super annoying. Sorry about that, Lloyd. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's right. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks very much for your time. You're, you're very welcome. It's a pleasure. Hey, guys. Mike here. Just wanted to thank Wendy and Allison for conducting an awesome interview with Lloyd Auerbach, one of my personal heroes and one of the guys that got me into parapsychology in the first place when I read his book back in the early 90s. So for the song this week, we took one of Lloyd's most well-known quotes, Faith is belief without proof. Faith is fine, but don't call it science. And then we put our own spin on it. So, here's Sunspot with a new track, BS Detector.
you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Oh, and just one more thing before you all fly to Hawaii for the Paracon next week. If you guys enjoy the songs and the podcasts and the topics and the blog posts and everything that we talk about with See You on the Other Side, please consider joining our Patreon community. Our Patreon community consists of the people who are passionate about these topics and like to talk about it. We have a private Facebook group. We have a monthly hangout. Patreons also get copies of the songs before they go to Spotify or anything else. And uh, we'd love for you to join. If you're interested in checking that out, please check out othersidepodcast.com slash donate is where you can take a look. Now, our Patreon, Dr. Ned, is at the level where he gets a shout-out in every single episode. He's like our executive producer. So, Dr. Ned, we want to thank you very much for supporting what we do. Uh, we appreciate everything you do for us and appreciate hanging out and talking to you. And we appreciate all of our Patreons hanging out and talking to all of you guys. We want to meet you in person if we haven't yet. Uh, we want to see you at the hangout we're going to have later this month. And for anybody still listening, we want to meet you at a Patreon hangout. So please check out othersidepodcast.com slash donate. And thanks for listening. Well, you may have to stay overnight. Be sure to take excruciating notes. <laughs> <laughs>